The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded, where we discuss the Montreal Canadiens' performance uh, over the last season. We're going to go defenders today, and as when we speak about defenders in Montreal Canadiens, we will lean heavily on one of my favorite guests, and hopefully one of yours as well. It's uh, Jason Paul, or as you find on Twitter, Wave Intel. Be sure to follow him and because he will answer all your stupid questions that I also ask him. Uh, and thank you for joining us, Jason. Thank you, Patrick. Always an honor to be on. And It's, I'm sure uh, we're going to talk about Romanov for uh, at least a, a significant portion of this podcast, I assume. Well, he is the one of the future <laughs> that we really can draw some conclusions of this week, uh, this year. But uh, yeah. there are some really new, interesting prospects coming through there as well that acquired through trades and mm. um, we're also joined you know like we're, we're uh, am i allowed to say you're in africa or not <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> so we're joined from africa and i I've, i'm trying to get guests from asia and australia so we can and, and south america so we can really get guests from everywhere in the world um it would also be right. cool if any of the scientists in in antarctica will get in contact and tell <laughs> us to, to to he wants to do he or she wants to join up and support the habs that way uh but but we're going to talk defenders and there were two defenders that left um first and foremost what holes did they leave behind and second did did montreal get a decent value spoiler alert yes they did uh for them <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did. I personally think they did. Sometimes it's even hard to move players, right? So I think, um, you know, not that I have any inside scoop, but I think, um, you know, at the deadline, sometimes it's like a little bit like poker. And sometimes, you know, teams are left with the asset and not getting anything. So I'm kind of glad they got something for Kulak, even though on the Twitterverse, Kulak is very popular, right? Because of his, uh, his analytics are, have always been uh, pretty darn good. And uh, this year they were also very good. I mean, you can argue that they are some of the best on the team, actually. So from a from a pure analytics underlying shot metric standpoint, he was he put up way better numbers than uh, Sherratt. But um, you know, Sherratt ended up getting the uh, first round pick and, and and all the the headlines, right? Yeah. Um, and and you mentioned it already, Brett Kulak, good underlying numbers. Um, Goals against expected, positive minus. His uh, his metrics in general. Yeah. Let me see what we got here. Yeah, I mean they were the be- they were like relative. Like I don't like I don't I'd ra- rather than say uh, you know what was it fifty two percent. Yeah. I I like to uh, put it relative to the team. First you first you look. That's why you see a lot of my my quad charts, right? So it, you see the whole league, and when usually I highlight a player. 
you can see relative to the league. And he can be poor relative to the league, but relative to his team, he can be very good, right? So it's just an easy way to to show that. And I, I mean, if you look at all the defenders this year, their shot metrics are bad. They're they're below league average and in comparison to other defenders, they're really, really bad. But that's what um, we are expect from a team that finishes at yeah. the last position as well. So so it, yeah. it's sort so it makes sense to evaluate defenders or, or players out of the, the scoop from the team, right? Yeah. So Kulak, he he was if you just go by shot metrics, uh, expected goals, his his numbers were much better than anybody on the team, really. Uh, and he did put up those kind of numbers even before as well. That's why he was, he's a bit of an analytics darling. Uh, and you got to wonder if Edmonton picked up on that, if, if it's their analytics department that kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, put him to the top for a trade. Uh, but he also had playoff experience last year, right, too. And I think GMs love that, right? So, you know, do they look at the fact that he his, his minutes went way down in the playoffs? They're pretty much going with the big four there. And, that, and that's what I look at. I, I, and that's where Sherratt, even though his analytics numbers were not good, it put him as a, as a premium asset to pick up because every GM watched probably all of his clips last year in the playoffs and and saw what he did in the playoffs. So, and obviously again, he's the reason that Edmonton went through to the second round, which they haven't done before, or for in, in recent memory anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I, I love seeing that they they have success. Um, the, the players that left. So, yeah. So, and, and as far as Sherrod, um, his his numbers were, you know, not very good. But I think his reputation and the fact that he he did well in the playoffs was. Uh, I can argue this all day about the analytics. You know, even though I'm an analytics guy, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Ben Sherrod. Um, even when his his ice time is high and, and his, his performances were pretty good last year in the playoffs. Even then his analytics don't come out really well. So I think on the analytical side, the, the, the Twitter verse uh, thinks that um, the Habs did really well getting a number one draft pick for him. And as you hear in the background, uh, Jason's kids has some, some additional information to, <laughs> to, to communicate. My uh, ear pods in. You think yeah, don't, don't worry about it. We'll do it this way. Sure? It's fine. Okay. I, I'm just explaining to the audience why there might be some shouting. Uh, yeah. I, I assume they're playing, uh, uh, what is it, NHL 2020 or something on, on the on the video screen. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. Look, looking though, I mean, like you have this interesting chart. You tweeted out. Uh, you mentioned Ice on the Prize. And you mentioned me in the tweet. So it's easy to find for, for anyone that's interesting. And uh, you, you look at the... Um, what happened with the players when the coach change happened from uh, Dominique Duchamp to Martin Saint-Louis? And, and I mean, like, let's start with, I mean, like, there's some really obvious ones, let's be honest with that. Uh, but also, one of the ones that has, you know, left us wondering a little bit, and, and obviously with COVID situation and Montreal going down, Jeff Petrie made a huge leap into the good quadrant uh, with the uh, the well, when the coaching change happened. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you can look at all the players. We'll just focus on the demon and. Um, well, we we know Cole Caulfield really did something yeah. exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it, it was really the change in and offense. The offensive metrics really boosted up with uh, Marty Saint Louis. 
they were really weak with Ducharme. Um, but then a lot of the, the players lost their defensive. You know, they traded their defense for the, for offense. But Jeff Peacher is one that sticks out as improving both on the offensive side and on the defensive side, which is, you know, we all watched Jeff at, at the beginning of the season. And even for the full season, he pretty had a, he had a rough season, but we all knew he had had it in him to play better. But uh, he was definitely the most improved defenseman by a long shot for uh, for the Habs. Yeah, uh, from I, Ducharme to uh, to St. Louis. Yeah, and also, I mean, like at the start of the season, you more or less had Jeff Petrie having to play as Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber. Uh, there was not really like he had to do both jobs, and, and obviously that's not something you can do, uh, no matter who you el- who you are on on a team. Um, but the discussion in Montreal is obviously right now and taking a look to, to his uh, analytics numbers and and uh, his development o- o- with the, with a new coach. He is the guy to keep though, and because there are trade rumors and there are you know rumors about letting Jeff go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's more of a question of the vision of of uh, the of Hughes more than is he a great player and can he can he help the team? Of course, I think he can. But you know, it'd be a strategic thing to trade him to get assets for him to build on. And uh, I don't know, I'm I'm not a tank kind of person, but if you, if you really want to damage your chances of of um, losing out on a on a top five pick, then you you keep a guy like that, right? So if you want to be strategic and allow the team to bottom out, then moving Jeff Petrie for a future asset would, would be one of them for sure. Yeah, and also there's a bit of cap space that might be needed somewhere else down the line, and, and Jeff sits on that. And um, personally, I've been thinking with the idea of keeping Jeff and, and uh, maybe do what you did with Kulak and Sherat, trade him at the deadline where he's going to be immense and you have acquired a little bit of cap space for him so the new team will not really have to uh, pay his full salary for that year but each to their own and this is something we keep an eye on for for the future uh we also have um another very interesting player that was brought in low uh, chris weidman coming in from the yeah. khl uh he's not in this chart if i remember correctly but i mean he obviously, as you mentioned, everyone picked up their pace with a new coach. He got to play the power play minutes as well, uh, where he is excelled in, in the K. But 31, time, and with the prospects that are coming up in the Montreal system, it might be worth letting him go. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, it's on how Hughes wants to structure uh, you you might want to keep a guy like Weidman if you're going to trade Petrie, for example, right? So um, it also I think Weidman was there for the for the power play, and um, so it really depends on whether they have someone earmarked, you know, like Harris, for example, um, that that would be the number one power play guy, for example. That if they have someone earmarked like that, then they would maybe think less of having a Weidman uh, a need for a Weidman on the bench. Hughes did mention that he wants to toughen up the team a bit. And, um, you know, I'm a bit of an old school guy where I believe in that kind of stuff. If you, if you're rebuilding, you don't want, it's nice to have some veteran tough guys around. And I don't mean goons. I just mean guys that have been around before, uh, to insulate the, the younger players. And then 
a defensive spot is like a pretty prime position for that, right? So, you know, you wouldn't need Weidman if you want to give his power play and his offensive ability opportunities to somebody else. You might want that to be filled by, you know, some bigger, tougher defenseman who's got a lot less skill probably. Someone maybe like uh, Joel Edmondson who's coming back from an injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joel, I, I think he's he's going to play big minutes next year. I think he's he's probably one of the players that is definitely not moving. He's going to be part of the solution, quote unquote, part of the leadership group. So I think he's he will definitely be there next year. Go, going, I mean, like let, let's speak about Corey Schumann, Schumann as well. Uh, just before we start hitting all these young players that I love to talk about and, and uh, yeah. that we might not have as much data for, but Schunemann, uh, I mean, like he's young as well. Let's be honest. He's 26. I keep forgetting. They, funny, you know, they keep getting younger and I keep getting older. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Corey Schunemann, um, numbers-wise, it's only 24 games. Yeah. So so it's a little, I mean, like it's more or less a, what? a third to to a fourth of the season and and what kind of conclusion can we draw from that and what kind of numbers and and, and like uh, deployment can we expect to see him going forward yeah you know i really like what i saw from him um i was a bit surprised he seemed pretty calm and confident uh i like the way he moved i compared him of course you know not nearly as, as skilled uh, yet, maybe, um, to uh, Eric Desjardins. I don't know if you remember how he played. Like he was, he was not a small guy. He was not a big guy. He was not a tough guy, but he moved well. And he, he just seemed to do a lot of things well. Uh, and I almost see that kind of style in, in uh, Schooneman. His numbers were not good. <laughs> His underlying numbers were some of the worst on the, on the squad. And, but again, Small sample, 25 games. And you have to take the whole, like, the whole numbers for the team this year, like, you really almost have to throw them away. I mean, there are some awful, awful performances. And everybody, if there are two or three players at a position, when I mean on a position, I mean, like, you know, if they're supposed to be a second center and they're playing first center, well, then it's just cascading across the whole, the whole uh, roster. And it really reflects on the numbers. So I, I wouldn't really take away too much from the numbers. Uh, especially when it comes to, to Schumann, maybe he was those 24 games, maybe were some of the worst games that they actually played this season. Yeah. And as we're looking at it right now, we don't really remember the name of the games he played either. So, so <laughs> it's, it's tough to dig up all the data for, for a quick podcast here in the afternoon. Uh, looking though, there are two players that we do going to spend some time on um, to um, how should we say uh, there, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of, different solutions in regards to these players. Um, I'm going to keep Romanov off a little bit, but David Savard being yeah. brought in, being held up as part of the solution, uh, mm-hmm. being part of, of that kind of, of insulation, as you mentioned as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's a big uh, what do you call it? A, a big moment of, of, of influence where, where we keep remembering the mistakes rather than the good things. And, and, or if it's actually that he has been relatively underperforming along with the team this year. Yeah. David Savard's interesting um, 
you know, defensemen in general, I find very interesting. You have an elite cadre, and then you have these a supporting kind of defensemen like uh, David Savard. You can even say Sherrod is, is in that group where when they slot into a good team that's, you know, oiled very nicely, they can do their job and look very good. But it seems when on a team like this that things are just out of control and getting back to the, the positions that the players are just not in their right in their right slot in the lineup, it just it just seems to be a snowball falling apart effect for some of these players. Savard, his number's not good. <laughs> um, he did improve a lot when uh, DD came in, but his the goals against are what's worrying. The goals against are pretty high for a player who's supposed to calm down. Who I think maybe maybe he's miscast that way, but is supposed to kind of calm down a team and, and play uh, veteran style um, quality hockey. Sorry for the screaming there. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. Uh, but do I still believe he's a quality good defenseman? Absolutely. Um, on a good team, he can be he can be good. It's just when we saw all the same things, he seemed to really go out of position. Eh? On the rush, rush, rush mm-hmm. plays, he is seemed to be very bad on the rush plays. You know, going to the other side, overextending himself in the in zone play, maybe not so bad, but he was he did not look good on the uh, the rushes this year. I, I think also like what, what what we need to talk about and what we're going to talk about in the next guy that we're going to mention is is obviously the covering up for each other. It was almost like in their own zone they tried to do too much. The simple plays from the big four in, in the playoffs were gone, obviously, mm. because because one of the one of the top performers were obviously gone. But but also like it, it almost seemed like everyone tried to do everything at once. And and one of those that hampered a, a little bit and with his skating, because the skating is elite, I think you can agree with that, even if we don't agree on everything else in regards to Alexander Romanov, his skating is fantastic. And, and I mean, we, we see that in, in your chart as well. He, take, he took a giant leap forward into the right area of the, <laughs> of the quadrant um, mm. with, with uh, Saint-Louis. But he's only 21. He's been one, hailed as one of the top prospects for, for a long, long time. Will he ever reach that? Or do we have to pair him with someone that could maybe where they can learn from each other and cover each other weaknesses? Yeah. So you, you mentioned that he made a big improvement um, on that chart that I put uh, between uh, 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 Ducharme and uh, St. Louis. And that's true. Um, he lost a bit of his defensive play to, to any increase the offensive play. But what I think is, is impressive is, he also really increased his, his five on five time on ice. You know, he was, you know, so you have to also take that into those numbers as well. Cause these numbers don't show quality of competition and quality of teammate. Um, so I think it was pretty impressive how he increased um, that. The eye test for me is still shaky. Like you said, um, there's lots of running around and um seemed to be busy, even though he calmed it quite a bit down after. I think he's a really good rush defender, uh, you know, kind of opposite of Savard. But I think when when the play's in the zone, he tends to run around a bit. Uh, to answer your question, do I think 
he is going to, you know, reach the levels of maybe like a, you know, a top tier defenseman. I, I personally don't think so. I think we've seen enough already. He's only 22. And so, yes, can he, can he really change things up right now? But I think so. I think he's got two years. Can he be a super quality defenseman? I think so. Can he be at the level of ever getting uh, Norris trophy votes and being the number one defenseman on a, on a Stanley cup contending team. I personally don't think so. And, but that's okay too. I mean, I think they need to really work with what they have and they can get a very strong NHL. Um, I think it's up to the, to Hughes and the uh, organization to put their money where their mouth is with development. And you could argue that his development was kind of, you know, not ruined or derailed, but like he spent that time maybe not being developed well. And now here's the opportunity to start developing him. Yeah, I mean, like uh, in a way, his his development was forced because mm-hmm. you had to take him out of Russia or having him sign a three, two or three year contract with Seska. And, and uh, we all understand why he was brought over at that point, maybe. But then he also got the... Um, the clause that he could go back to Russia if he was sent down to the AHL. So you yeah. were caught, you know, in between a rock and a hard place, more or less. And and you had to keep him around. You had to keep playing him because otherwise you don't get that. And maybe it was a little bit fast. Um, I sort of expected him, and I'll, I'll be honest with this, I expect him to stay in Russia and come over to be a little bit more like a complete player when he came back and came over. Um, mm. I understand what Montreal did. I know they needed him. I, I sort of expected maybe a little bit better of development, but we also know that that was part of the organization that wasn't really strong last uh, over the last GM and, and, and coach. But where do you slot him in? What kind of partner do you see him needing? What kind of partner? Because we've seen him with a few different ones now. And where does, which kind of, you have a better grasp of the analytics part and, and you could probably see a little bit which partner has he succeeded with. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Kulak that was the best one, right? <laughs> yeah, he actually did pretty well with uh, Weidman as well. Kulak, Sherat, uh, pairing with Sherat was not good. Pairing with uh, Sabarit was not good, um, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so here's my issue with Romanov and, you know, uh, hopefully I don't lose... Uh, Twitter followers by talking like this, but my issue with Romanov is that he hasn't shown that he can be the number one guy in one of the tier, one of the segments of hockey, one of the, the um, situations of hockey power play. Like if he was a dynamo on the power play, we'd be talking differently right now. Even if he was subpar five on five, or even the worst on the team at five on five, if he was a dynamo on the power play different, you have a different asset there. If he was, Dynamo shutdown defenseman, we'd also be talking a little bit differently now. But he seems to be playing in a spot where he's not in in one of those areas. You know what I mean? And even though a lot of you heard a lot of chatter on Twitter that oh he's he's got the hardest matchups now, he's playing the most five on five minutes. It's true that he was playing high five on five minutes in the last half of the season, last quarter of the season. But I did check on some uh, sites. I use uh, Puck IQ which does a great job of telling you who they play against, right? They play against elite players, they play against 
And it did wash out again, which I, I suspected that it wasn't him playing against the elite. They, the coaches were trying to get Edmondson and Patriot out against the best players. Again, if you're an analytics fan, you say, well, he, you know, he should be out against them or whatever. But the, the bottom line is here is the coaches have not chosen him to be out there against the best. Or it's not that they haven't chosen it because he does play against the best, but he's not their first pick to, to go out in a defensive situation against McDavid, for example. And so that when I, this is how I kind of start looking at players. And I've said the same thing about uh, Suzuki. And this is why I love Suzuki. Of course, we've got to talk about Suzuki in a podcast that I'm on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Is, we'll do that next time. <laughs> over First over the boards, right? He's first over the boards in so many scenarios on the power play. If you, if you need a goal in five on five, last minute of the game. And, and this is how you see how the coaches see the player. So getting back to Romanov, because the coaches have not indicated yet that he's in one of those spots, I think he is vulnerable to being, um, you know, over overtaken by somebody. And, you know, I, I said that on Twitter about a month ago. I said, you know, I can see Romanov losing his spot in the lineup in 12 months. And I, I maybe I'm, I'm, I was being a little bit uh, dramatic to uh, get some followers on Twitter, but part of me believes that there's a time limit on him that he needs to show something like really high or else someone's going to come in like Harris or Goulet and they're going to quickly within six months or two years show that they've got the goods that's that that trumps his and one last note on that <laughs> this is where I think he could be in a little bit of trouble is he is not a huge pick so these guys anytime you see GMs change around around the league inevitably over the course of two years they start to bring their own people in and it's not draft pick necessarily draft picks but it could be players that they had scouted and loved in other organizations okay you got uh gordon with the rangers and so they're going to start slowly picking guys from other places that they have always loved um and you're i i think you're going to see that in the next 12 months 18 months they're going to keep collecting players that they like whether it's their free agency or trading for prospects and they're going to want to they're going to they're going to let them see what they what they got so is do I think Romanovs are strong in NHL or I do? I just think that because of all these circumstances, I would not be shocked. Okay, last last pillar on that is that because he's a good NHLer, because he's so young, another team might swoop in and want him. So he be, he becomes an actual usable asset. Whereas Shunaman, all these other guys, nobody wants Weidman. I don't mean to say ne- talk negatively like that, but he is a he's an asset that people would probably want. So that might even overpay for him. Yes. So if you want to, if there's somebody that Hughes really wants from another team and they and they want Mark, uh, Romanov, you might see him be. I would not be shocked if he's part of a trade. That's all I'm saying. I always think that, and, and I'm sorry, guys, you're going to hear. I'm like a broken record here. I think that the problem with Romanov was really his performance in the World Juniors, where he played a different role in Russia uh, against his peers at that age, but he played a completely different, another role in Seska against pros, seasoned pros. And I think a lot of people focused on the world juniors because they didn't have access to the K Mm -hmm. and didn't watch him there. And I think that sort of has tilted you know, what we expected or what some people expected out of Romanov and what he's clearly showing here. Uh, 
in 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 KHL, he was a super. I mean, like he was an even part of an offensive play because yeah. Nikitin didn't want him there yet. He hadn't learned the basics of the defense. Mm-hmm. And it's. I mean, I, I know Jared Book, uh, our colleague, <laughs> who's usually on this podcast as well. Uh, he usually says NHL is not a development league. And, and that is what you have to figure out. But sometimes, as we mentioned this again, circumstances means that you have to take some guys earlier or later, depending on what you choose. And hindsight is great, but it's also hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward, there were some very interesting, two very interesting uh, players that were added late, or three actually, but two came in via trades, and that's uh, Cale Clegg and uh, especially maybe Justin Barron. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the stats are, are not fantastic, but, I mean, these poor guys came in in a, in a disastrous uh, situation. The eye test for me, I didn't love Cale Clegg, um, and I, I just feel like I didn't see enough of uh, Barron, but I, I, I do like what they – they potentially have there and Baron for sure. Um, I don't know what did what did you think of those two? I I, I wasn't again as you say I wasn't I test wise because that's what I go with, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and obviously then we for you and me it's also the time difference and it's rarely that we maybe sit and watch the whole game out after we we might watch the highlights on NHL.com, but uh, yeah I wasn't super impressed with Plague. I didn't have very high expectations on him either but i I think that i had high expectations on justin Barron, and i think he lived up to them in many ways um i want to see a lot more from him uh, Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that i will see a lot more from him next year uh he's also given another summer to prepare better they're uh, one of the guys that we haven't mentioned out of these three young prospects that we're talking about is Jordan Harris, who came in, played 10 games, obviously. And, mm-hmm. and Jordan Harris as well. You know, I love what I saw from him. And you starting, we, we know that Goulet was also one of those players that they almost kept up, much like an, another young guy coming in, Matthias Norlander, to, to mm-hmm. have him play for a longer time. Mm-hmm. But um, they said, like, Goulet, go back, you know, prepare for the World Juniors, make sure that you're ready for next year. And yeah. he did. I mean, like, Goulet is going to be in the team next year. I'm, I'm totally convinced of that. Harris will be on the team. Uh, and then you got Baron, you got Romanov, you got Edmondson, you got Petrie. Um, I'm not surprised if, if Norlander needs, you know, stays in the AHL to, to uh, or because you want to play him rather than have him as the seventh defender and not get to play as much. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, there are some really interesting... I mean, like, the future is bright. The question is, is next year bright? And I don't think next year will be very bright. Well, I agree with you there with that assessment. Um, it won't be right. But you also you have to worry about, you know, getting letting these kids get caved in as well. So, you... you if you... Trade Jeff Petrie and do not replace him with a veteran player, and you're going to swim with all these kids. You know the season's long; it might feel good, you know, come November, but then you know you have nothing else, and and you're you're going to damage these kids, you know. So you need some wins in there for the confidence. 
Yeah. And they got to be careful with that. So, you know, trading Jeff, like if they did trade Jeff Petrie and then they, let's just say they brought in the Latang or they brought in somebody, you know, I, I think people will be upset that a veteran will take this a place of a Gouli or a Norlander. But I think everyone has to realize that you, you need to have some NHL veterans back there. You can't just swim with all these young guys. My personal opinion, I think people think that maybe they can develop that way, but um, I, I don't think so. But I do love, I think out of the whole lot, Harris, I really like what I saw from him. His numbers were very good, actually. Uh, and I think I tweeted some things in the past. Um, he, you know, again, small sample size, but I think he was with Savard. I think it was he was with Savard. And it, with the, he, they, they put up some pretty good uh, underlying numbers. Harris, in general, put up some good underlying numbers. But what's more impressive is just, for me, is the eye test. And this is what the Canadians have been missing with their defensemen for a long time. It's players that are really cool with the puck and can be super creative but they don't have to hit hard and, and skate fast. And, and I just feel like they got that kind of player with Harris. Uh, if people remember when Markov came up, he was very similar, uh, you know, in the sense that he was not overly big. It's not like he was flying past anybody, but he just, as soon as he picked up the puck, it seemed like everything slowed down. And that's a very difficult thing to do in today's NHL. So I think Harris has got that je ne sais quoi that can uh, really boost him up in the lineup there for sure. Yeah, and, and to mention the fellow Swede to me, I think the way Montreal handled uh, the Norlander situation last fall uh, impacted his whole season. He came into, uh, into uh, SHL with a broken confidence. He got injured. He didn't ca- catch up to, to the kind of play that we expected him to have until the playoffs. And uh, he's now back in the AHL. I think he had a pretty decent game with the Rocket last night. And we're recording this on Wednesday, you know, the 18th, just so you guys know, because it's going to go live in in uh, on on Thursday. So yeah, um, and and I think he needs that. I wouldn't be surprised if Norlander stays almost a full year in 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 NH in AHL because of yeah. this year that has been a little bit of a bump on the road or or lost of lost for development in many ways and broken confidence. I think though that it's important for some of these players to lose a bit of confidence and come back because it makes them stronger down the stretch. Uh, oh, yeah. if, everything, if everything just goes smooth, how will they handle adversity when it really hits them later on? And 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 uh, I expected Norlander last year to, to stay the whole year in SHL, come back and challenge for a spot. I have to reevaluate that and, and, and say that I think he's going to be in the AHL, not because he might need to adjust to the eyes or something. I just think he needs to sort out his confidence a little bit and feel that he can play on this level. And and he sh- has shown it sporadically in, in SHL, but he needs to show it more regularly in, 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 in North America. And I saw in, in this year that he tried to play more of a North American style of hockey coming back, and hopefully that will benefit Montreal Canadiens and Matthias Norlander uh, in the long run. Yeah, yeah, because I agree with you, and, and what I saw from him as well as his short stint was was kind of that Jordan Harris thing, where he's you can tell he's he's got that offensive mind. You can tell he's slick with the puck and very creative, and that 
Montreal needs. They need someone. They need to hit big on one of those guys. Um, Because you also can't have a lot of players uh, like a Tom Gilbert style guy. You can't. I don't think you can dress six Tom Gilberts. You know? It would be fun, but but it would also be very boring in other ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as much as you just want to put the best player in the lineup, I go back to, to Romanov uh, situation. It's really how the coaches and the, and Hughes wants to structure that team. Does he want shutdown defensemen as a priority kind of like Bergevin did. And then he kind of just threw afterthought offensive defensemen on the, the bottom pairing. Uh, or do you want to be like the, the standard model, which is you have a number one defenseman, that's a puck mover. And then you have your more shutdown guys down the line. Um, I really, we haven't seen, we haven't, he hasn't articulated that Hughes, right? So what he has articulated is what he wants an exciting team uh, and he wants a fast team. So that bodes well for, for guys like Norlander and, and Harris. And, and also he said that he wants to build a competitor for a long time, not just for a flash in the pan. So we might have to, as much as we suffered through this season, we might have to suffer through another season. Uh, yeah, indeed. And uh, it's great to have Jason Paul with us. You can follow him at Wave Intel on Twitter. He is really one of my favorite guests. Even when we disagree, as we usually do with Romanov, this year yeah. we haven't. But I'm sure we'll disagree some more time, some some other time. I'm surprised you get after all those, those comments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes I listen. And as you guys heard, I also can change my opinion. So it's great <laughs> with that. And I think that's very important. I keep telling my kids in class to do that. So I need to live by that example myself. There you uh, go. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining us from Africa. Uh, and uh, yeah, I uh, thank you for the invitation and I will extend it to my missus later today and hopefully yes. we'll see each other this year. Yeah, I can't wait for you to come down and you can bring your hockey equipment. I'm playing tonight for the first time down here. Uh, if you want to see me play hockey, you can just Google uh, Bambi on ice. <laughs> Perfect time for you to do it down here. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. We have broken down the defense of Montreal Canadiens for the 21-22 season. Normally the defense breaks down itself, but this time we broke it down. (laughs) 